listening to Truth To You. That's truthnumber2letteryou.org. I'm Jono and g'day to Aline in Canada, Keith in Sydney. Hey, Keith. There's hey. another Keith in the world and he's in, <laughs> in my hometown, Sydney. G'day to you. Joan in Florida who commented saying, Jono, I have really been enjoying listening to the podcast while I'm working. Thanks for making them available. Also, Karen in Texas who wrote saying, my husband and I listen to you each Shabbat. It's like sitting around the kitchen table with you three and we learn so much. This pastoral portion was really great. And we also love the session when you shared about the Aramaic letter. Loved Nehemiah's sharing his experience on Mount Sinai. Also, I met Deb, the cultured Karaite at her home about a month ago. She's great. She is great. Blessings to you all, she writes. Thank you so much, Karen, for that. Also, good day to Janice, who commented on Truth To You Facebook page, saying, I'm so happy that these episodes are on iTunes now, so I can listen on my way Woo! to work on my iPhone. Thank you, Janice. Awesome. Yes, they are. They are. And wherever you may be around the world, thank you for joining us once again. And when you go to truthnumber2letteryou.org, be sure to click on the iTunes link. Hey. Hey, I want... Hey, I'm hey, no, thanks, wait, 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 Keith, wait, Keith, hang yes. on. I gotta tell everyone what we're doing. Settle down there. You ready? Oh, sorry about that, yeah. Okay, ready? He always interrupts this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Pearls from the Torah portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. G'day, gentlemen. Keith. I'm sorry, I was so excited. I got a shout out from, from the United <laughs> States all the way over to Jerusalem. Miri Bergen, I hear that she's listening. My Great. sister in Jerusalem, I'm so Miri, excited. Thank you for listening, Miri. <laughs> Shalom, Miri. Hey, I want to shout out to uh, Julie and her family who uh, are over in Montgomery, Alabama and listen every week. And uh, they actually posted a comment on uh, my Facebook page. And uh, this was actually in response to a comment that you had read, Jono, in a previous program in the portion of Bichu Kotai. Mm-hmm. And, Julie, and it was a comment that somebody had made that I interrupt Keith. And Julie writes, <laughs> the comment the guy made about you interrupting Keith each week is funny. Since our family thinks... <laughs> Keith interrupts you way more. Very, <laughs> very much enjoy the teachings. Thank you to all from her family. Thank you, Julie, and uh, the, her family over in Montgomery, Alabama. For hey, Julie, truth. I think you're, you're, well, Julie, I don't understand why you'd say I interrupt Nehemi. I never interrupt Nehemi. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Julie, and thank you, Mary. And actually, you know, I think Mary comments from time to time. So thank you, Mary, for commenting. Today we are in Balak. That's right. Numbers 22, verse 2 to 25, verse 9. Guys, i got to say, you know what? This is, uh, you know, one of my favorite Torah portions of all Torah portions. This is so high up on my list. And I'm really excited yeah, that we're doing this right now. And it starts like this. Now, Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that Israel had, uh, what they'd done to the, the Amorites and Moab, was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread. It says sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said now, to the elders sick dread in hebrew <laughs> what is it what does it say well since you're making the point that it's a sick with dread what do you got keith and yours what is that well, verse you guys three? are very excited yeah. today i'm actually using a different english version today what you're not allowed to, what what we no, no, no. didn't clear this no, way no, you're no, not I'm using the i'm using a different you're english version today version. no day. i can't use the niv today i'm actually using a, uh, the one new man bible today revealing what? jewish roots and power and so uh so uh that's the ver- no this is the version I'm using. So um so, uh, I never heard of it. That's right. That's why I'm using it. Uh, I want to do something you neither of you guys have the access to so I can get more time on the radio show. <laughs> well, I've thought about this deeply. How can I get more time on the radio show? Come up with the version that Nehemiah can't tap on and he can see and Jonah right. can't say, "Oh, my version says this." No, I've got one people of you have. Okay. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Okay. What does it say in verse 3? What does it say in your obscure Bible in verse 3? My obscure Bible that I have, <laughs> it says, And Moab was very afraid of the people because there were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. Distressed? Yes. So it has Vayagor, which just, you know, means, and he was afraid or very afraid. It's, it's, it's an intense word. Um, terrified, I guess, is probably a, a good translation. Terrified. Terrified because mm-hmm. of the children of Israel. So Moab mm-hmm. said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, <laughs> just like that, son of Zippor, was king over the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messages to Balaam the son of Beor, uh, at Pethor, which is, now this is kind of an obscure sentence, uh, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people. Now, the river, we're talking about the Euphrates, right? Yeah, whenever it talks about the river, it doesn't say which one we're dealing with the Euphrates. Okay. The Euphrates in the land of... In in the Bible, that's the Great River. The Great River. In the 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 river in the land of the sons of his people. Yes, uh, which which kind of would imply that Balak was, um, he was the king of Midian, or excuse me, of Moab, he, but mm-hmm. he was, but he may have actually been an Aramean from the same region as Bilam. That's kind of what this implies. Right. Uh, so he he's he's having trouble, and he's sending home for the you know for the expert for the pinch hitter for, to come for in the great man, and because this is what it says to call the him saying, prophet. "Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth." And are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse the people for me. That they're too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. That's well, what he knows. So can we stop here for a minute? Because this sure. is wow. This is <laughs> so. First of all, we got Bilam or Balak sending back to Bilam, saying, mm-hmm. "Okay, I, I need you. I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed." And he's almost like he's, he's almost mocking the blessing that God gave Abraham, that great mm-hmm. blessing where God said to Abraham, whoever blesses you will be blessed and whoever curses you will be cursed. Amen. Well, this is what they believe that, that Bilam had the power to do, that whoever he blessed, whatever words he spoke of blessing, that those words actually had in and of themselves power. Mm-hmm. And whatever curse he spoke, again, those words they believed had in and of themselves power. So you've got this problem. Well, what are you going to do? Let's, let's bring in the, the professional, the professional cursor. Mm. Uh, the, this you know uh, prophet, and um, and I love the phrase here. Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and behold, he covers the face of the earth, and he is mm. uh, dwelling across from me. And, and you know what this reminds me of? When when Keith and I were in South Africa a few years back, mm-hmm. we went to this really remote place. Um, it was actually, a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a cucumber farm. Uh, and in addition, they had like wild animals running around the, the premises. Um, mm-hmm. There was kudu and and um, what were those things, Keith? I don't know, like you know with the long horns and and it was mm-hmm. beautiful. And they told us how one day they woke up and there were forty thousand squatters living over in the next hill. Wow! Just just living around the corner, basically. Uh, you know, a short walk away from their from their farm, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, and 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 they were terrified. They were legitimately terrified because these are literally people who were homeless, probably in one of the big cities. And, uh, there had been a law in South Africa forbidding those people from traveling around the indigenous African tribes had been forbidden Mm -hmm. from traveling in their own country. Well, when those laws were abolished, they said, okay, well, we don't want to be in this slum. Uh, we hear there's, there's a spring over by that hillside and, Mm -hmm. and 40,000 of them just one day planted themselves in this, in this remote area. And the people mm-hmm. who are living on this farm all alone, 
uh, all of a sudden had these neighbors that they didn't understand, that they didn't know anything about, and, and, great de- and a great number, and, and they were, at least they believed them to be desperate people, because they were, mm. you know, dirt poor, and, uh, and they were terrified, and, it, and every time I read this, that's the image that pops in my mind, because Keith and I actually went to that, um, I don't know what you call it, it wasn't a township, it was a, really just a shanty town of shacks. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and uh, it was a frightening thing. I understood where their, where their fear came from. Here's this mass of people that is all of a sudden at your doorstep. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that, I mean, you said that there's 40,000 people. In this case, I guess we're dealing with, you know, two, three, possibly four million. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam. Whoa, 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 okay. Is that what you wait, got wait, wait, in your wait. One New Man Bible, Definer's Fee? Okay, well, actually, this is the Keith, the KJV, you guys. The Keith John, I've, I've written my own translation. So, um, <laughs> and the elders of Moab <laughs> left with the uh, rewards of uh, divination in their hand. The rewards okay, of so, divination. So it just says in Hebrew, it just says in Hebrew, ksamim, which mm-hmm. really just means divination. So mm-hmm. these may not have been rewards of divination. These may have actually, or it sounds like these are some kind of divinatory devices, and, and mm-hmm. maybe now is the time to, to take a break and talk about divination. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but, but this is right. a key point. That, and this, this is a key theme, and this might be a Torah pearl, because I, mean, I don't know if this is obvious in English. In Hebrew, this is completely obvious, that Bilaam, uh, and don't you guys in English call him Balaam, something like that? Bilaam. Yeah, Bilaam is a diviner. He's on the one yes, hand... Balaam. So Balaam, Balaam is a diviner, and it's actually Joshua chapter thirteen, verse twenty-two. It mentions Balaam, the son of Beor, the diviner. Mm-hmm. He yes. is the one who practices divination. So he he is he is um you know actually here in the King James it says Balaam also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, soothsayer, diviner, and in Hebrew that's all mm-hmm. the same thing, kosem. Sure. And that and and the definition you could say of kosem um, is uh, somebody who um, and, and you can see this in the in, um, book of Deuteronomy chapter 18. Can, can we pop over to Deuteronomy 18? Can Let's we do, do that? that? Sure, I mean, there's so much yeah. to talk about, but I think this is really important because this is, this is, I think, the linchpin to the whole chapter, mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. it in that context. So Deuteronomy 18 is this beautiful passage that makes a distinction between divination, what we might mm-hmm. call, I think in modern terms, we'd probably call this witchcraft, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but divination or soothsaying on the one hand versus prophecy. And it says there, and maybe you could read from your... Um, you you want the okay. New King James, do you? The, uh, yeah, from, uh, from verse, verse 9. Ni- in verse 9, yep. yeah. Yep. When you come into the land, uh, which Jehovah Yolahim is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, I've got, or a soothsayer, and, and or one about, who we, interrupts no. uh, interprets omens. Did you interrupts? One who interrupts. <laughs> I said interrupts because you interrupted me, but it's that says was one your Freudian who, slip. Okay, and it's a whole bunch of things. I want to skip ahead because this isn't. We'll get to this when we get to Deuteronomy 18. Can you skip mm-hmm. ahead to verse 14? The key thing about all the things that's listing here is these are ways of getting information mm-hmm. through the supernatural. If you mm-hmm. want to, and verse 11, for example, it has um, he who asks the literally the ghost and the and the familiar spirit. You want yes. information. You want to know what's going to be in the future. You you ask the spirit to come and speak to you. You ask the ghost. You speak to the dead. You entreat the dead. You, you know you pray to them. These are the things that that um are the he calls these the abominations of those nations. And verse fourteen is the key, which explains it. 
For these nations, which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, Yehovah your Elohim has not appointed such for you. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have on the one hand the nations, they go to the soothsayers and diviners, and that's Balaam. Mm-hmm. Bilam is, mm-hmm. is a soothsayer. He's a kosem. That's the exact word in verse 14. Kosmim, it's the plural of kosem, which is the description of Bilam. And then in, uh, and so he's saying that's what they do. They go to the soothsayers and diviners. That's how they get their information. And verse 15 explains what God expects from us. We're not supposed to go to soothsayers and diviners. Let me read I it mean, from Hebrew. It says, a prophet from among you, from from your brothers, like me, Yehovah will raise up, mm-hmm. uh, Yehovah your God will raise up, and you shall listen to him, according to all that you ask uh, ask from Yehovah, your God, uh, at Choreb, in the day of the congregation, saying, uh, I will no long, I no longer want to hear the voice of Yehovah, my God, and the great this great fire, etc., etc. So they had this very terrifying experience at Sinai, mm. and they said, we can't do this anymore. We're going to die if we keep hearing the voice of God directly. We want an intermediary. We want a prophet. We want someone to come and speak God's word. And Yehovah establishes that institution of the prophet through Moses. Moses is going to be the prophet that speaks Yehovah's word. Mm-hmm. And so now in verse 15, he says, well, there's going to be other prophets like me. Now, this is a point that Keith and I may argue about, and certainly in, in traditionally Jews and Christians have seen this differently, that Christians have seen this as there's a specific prophet in verse 15, and Jews have seen this as this is the institution of the prophet, um, yeah. that this well, is I mean, a Yoel, Yoel and I were recently uh, having this discussion. Is it talking specifically about Joshua, or is it talking about oh, the prophet's collective? Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's talking about Joshua, because um, you know, Joshua's already been appointed at this point, Mm-hmm. Um, and here he's talking about in the future he's going to raise up a prophet, and then later on he talks about a false prophet. And so uh, grammatically, this is what we'd call in Hebrew the collective singular. It's mm-hmm. when you want to refer to an entire category, and you're refer- and we can talk about this when we get to Deuteronomy 18. You want to talk about a whole category, you talk about you know uh, a singular one example of it. Uh, sure. When God created birds, it doesn't say birds, it says bird. It says he created a bird, and it, you know, but sure. that means bird kind, and he created sure. a man, it's mankind. Yeah, he created mm-hmm. two. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, so this is the prophet, and, and 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 I think that if you read it in context, that that's actually something that we that probably everybody can agree upon. You know mm-hmm. how this then applies. You know, in, in certain theological contexts, let's leave that out of it. But sure. the point here is that is that Israelites are supposed to listen to prophets, whereas the pagans, the the nations, they listen to soothsayers and diviners. That's what they do. And Balaam is the soothsayer and diviner, but he's an unusual one in that he tries to use soothsaying and divination with Yehovah, and that's what we're going to see in this chapter. And, and this um, is where it gets kind of interesting, because it says in verse 8, and he said to them, lodge, they turn up and, and they, they give him the words of Balak, and he says, look, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as Yehovah speaks to me, so the princes uh-huh. of Moab stay with Balaam. Now, how can it be explained? Look, th- this is what I want to stop and say, and, and, and uh, Nehemiah says that he, he, uses, um, he uses this combination of the divination and Yehovah, uh, the question I'm the, the the question that I've always asked is you know is the guy um, I mean wherever he comes from or whatever his situation is and as we're going to see as we go through the story as we go through the story you know for whatever reason you know Yehovah is actually speaking to him mm-hmm. and so I, I just you know the thing that I kind of look at is um, the people who maybe have had a genuine experience let's just say there's been a genuine experience mm-hmm. uh, with Yehovah Yehovah has spoken genuinely with them and, and then they open up their own shop and say I've got the ability to uh, to, to tell the future, and I've got this, that, and the other, and people come to them. I've actually seen this um, in the uh, when I whatever you want to say about it. I've seen this sure. used in the, the church where yes, uh, there has been uh, you know a successful 
experience. Uh, mm. You know, something's happened, and then and then that becomes the person that's the prophet of the church. So now, whatever that person says, it's the word of the Lord. Mm. Um, and so, I'm just wondering if you know, and we're going to find out about him. But you know, he he has this experience that's a legitimate one, and then you know, I th- I think that the point of divination, um, or one of the keys of divination, is that um, the diviner. Uh, in wants to, he, he thinks he can induce the the prophetic experience and he mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. can control it and that's mm-hmm. where Balaam is you know that's what that's why it's so that's why I interrupted you when you when you said the the price of divination or how how did you translate mm-hmm. that the the wage of divination the, the fee, fee of divination because that's not what it was they brought divination they brought you know their little bones and the special oil and whatever mm-hmm. it is all kinds of little things that they used you know they sure. drip oil into a cup and so they got a special magical cup and so so that's divination they brought the devices of divination so that mm-hmm. uh, Bilam could use this in their favor. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, he needs the seven bull, you know, he needs like, you know, he's got like all these little magical things going on. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, through the divination, he thinks he can control this prophecy, this, mm-hmm. this experience, and he can prophesy a curse. And, um, you know, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do what you say. But, you know, when it comes to it, God knows what he's got going on in his head. And I guess I'm jumping ahead. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let us okay. read it. Sorry. Here it goes. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, had sent uh, to me, saying, Look, the people have come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for Jehovah has refused to give me permission. He's refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose, and they went back to Balak and and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And then Balak said, sends again uh, princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. So let's pop back to verse 5. And mm-hmm. read me from your one new man Bible, Keith Johnson. Uh, Numbers 22, okay. verse 5. Just the first few words. He sent messengers, therefore, to Balaam. Messengers. Balaam. Okay. Is that what you got? Messengers? I'm, I've got that exactly, yeah. Okay, so the Hebrew word is malachim. And malachim, if we didn't have a context, if we were just trans- if, if you ask angels. any Israeli what that word means, he'll tell you that means angels. And it does. And that's because in Greek, the word angelos, where we get the word in English, angels, is mm-hmm. just simply the word for messenger. And, and so this is what we do. We do is really... A neat thing in English where we, we distinguish between different types of messengers. We say this one, we're just going to translate messenger. That one, we're going to translate angel. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and in Hebrew, it's the same exact thing. And, and the reason I mention this is, is we've got this really cool thing here where Bil- or excuse me, Balak sends his messengers, which we could again translate as angels. Not, not mm-hmm. that they're supernatural. I'm not saying that. My point is that the purpose of the messenger is to speak the message. And... Mm-hmm. And, and then we look in verse 16, and I'll read it literally from Hebrew. Uh, and they came to Bilam, and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Tzipor. Now, does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Thus says. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, that's the exact same terminology as Isaiah would use when he says, Thus says Yehovah of hosts. Mm-hmm. Or Jeremiah, when he says, Thus says Ko Amal Yehovah. Thus says Yehovah. Here it's Ko Amal Balak. Thus says Balak. This is how a, a, a human messenger speaks. Mm-hmm. And this is... Therefore, why we see God's messengers speaking this way as well. The prophets speak this way. The angels speak this way. Uh, the supernatural messengers. 
Um, and then what do they say? He says, do not hold back uh, from going with me is literally what it says. And I think mm-hmm. that's so interesting because when he says me, so this ain't, this messenger that Bilam said, uh, that Balak sent, you know, we don't know what his name was, but let's say his name was, I don't know, his name was George, okay? Sure. So, so when George says, do not hold back from going with me, who's the me? Is the me Balak or is that George? I don't know. It could be either. But when mm-hmm. he says in verse 17, for I will surely honor you greatly. That's Balak. Um, and all that you say to me, I will do. That's Balak. That's not George. Mm, George sure. can't honor uh, 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 Bilam. He doesn't have the money to do it. And mm. he says, and go, please, and, and curse for me this people. This is Balak speaking. The words are coming out of the mouth of George, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the words of Bilam as Amen. I. And that's one of the really powerful things. When Isaiah says I, and he says, thus says Yehovah, and he says I, he doesn't mean Isaiah. It's the words of Yehovah, and here Amen. is the words of Balak. Yes. And so this Amen. is, that the, is an excellent the pattern point. we're seeing here. Excellent point. Then Balaam answered George and said, Though Balak <laughs> were to give me his full house of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of Yehovah my Elohim. Now he said, now, Keith, Keith, he says, I cannot go beyond the word of Yehovah my Elohim. Is that what you have? Yes, yeah, of Yehovah my God. To do less or more. Okay, he's, he's, now he's referring to Yehovah as Actually, his God. He says right? to do little or great. Yeah, Yehovah is his God. That's not disputed. Okay, I mean, that's, that's not that's disputed. Clear. Okay. And that's the, really, that's the really cool thing. Later on, when he's talking about Yehovah, he says Yehovah. He says it right out, you know, yeah. that this is who he's, he's you know, uh, interacting with. Amen. Um, so yeah. now, therefore, please, you stay here tonight that I may know what more Yehovah will say to me. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, if the men come to call you, if, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Now, things kind of get a little bit confusing here. It says, yeah. so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Whoa, whoa. Is that what you got, Keith? Saddled his donkey? I've been waiting for this verse for, <laughs> for months. Are you kidding me? And you're going to read to me, no. saddled his donkey? That's, I've got donkey. No, no, no. no, no, no my, okay, James, the Keith Johnson version says, and Balaam rose up in the morning, got on his ass, and went uh, with the princes of Moab. <laughs> okay. That speaks for itself. Um, <laughs> he saddled his ass. Now, 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 just explain to the people in good, nice, proper English. Uh, forget English. In Hebrew, we have two different words. We have the word, and this is interesting. We, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you know, chicken. So I'm a city slicker. When I say chicken, I mean you know that species of bird. But if you know, you talk to somebody from the country, they'll say, "Oh, well, you know, chicken. That's the the female, mm-hmm. and the male is called." Um, a rooster is that is that right? <laughs> male is called a rooster. That's correct. Yeah, right. Male's a rooster. And so, if you're eating a male, you say I'm eating chicken. Well, Hebrew is very specific like that when it comes to this species. And so, chamor is the male, and aton is the female. Mm-hmm. And here, it's clearly aton. And Old English made that similar distinction. You had donkey, and you had ass, and ass was the female. Female, mm-hmm. you know, ass translation of aton, and uh, and chamor is donkey. So is that, that, hang on, that, and wait a minute. So you're telling me that uh, that the ass is female and the donkey is male. Is that what you're saying? Sticking with that story, yeah. <laughs> I actually looked at one of these big, massive English uh, dictionaries, and apparently in the older phase of English, ass was specifically um, a female, although I think jackass could then be a male. Okay. All right. You're not, no, not going to edit this out, are you? Keith, <laughs> did you know this? I didn't know this. Well, I only learned it when we were sitting. Uh, I want to tell a story uh, to the people. So Nehemiah and I, um, you know, we went through this long process, Jonah, of finally doing this book, A Prayer to Our Father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer. And my goal was always, 
look, I can't wait, Nehemiah. We're going to actually get into a church. And he's like, oh, you're not, we're not going to be able to get into a church. No, I said, we're going to go to an official church. No, I'm talking about this was early in the process. And my point was, you know, we, our first thing was that there were smaller groups of Messianic organizations that were going to invite Nehemiah and sometimes me if I would sign a, a, you know, a statement of faith. But, um, <laughs> but basically the thing I was really waiting for was for a church to invite us message. to, you know, some kind of a, a fish. So we had this Baptist church that invited us way up in Canada to mm-hmm. come and speak uh, about the Hebrew origins of the Lord's Prayer. Well, Nehemiah was um, in one of his modes, and we went into this church. You know, it's a big, huge, you know, I mean, it, it's a church, Jono. Mm-hmm. And in the church, so Nehemiah gets up to explain to the people about the, the difference between a male and a female donkey. Right. And he simply <laughs> outright said in the Baptist church, and we haven't been invited yet, <laughs> back he goes up and he says now you guys understand there's a difference between a donkey and an ass right and i'm like he didn't say that at a baptist church in canada with a jew no let me finish with it with the jewish guy and a methodist guy black and white it's our first big invitation and he's getting explaining to these people i'm like you can't do that well it's already and he continued so let's get back to this story well and and the context just to remind you the context is that i had um written um uh sort of like a a posting mm-hmm. uh, a, a sort of an open letter called the ass speaks out mm-hmm. um that was actually after um uh, and i'll tell this story real quick and, and really if anybody hasn't read the ass speaks out you need to go and google that and and find so, it it's uh, yeah, actually it's on a prayer to our father a prayer to our father.com has the ass speaks I'll, out I'll, I'll link it i'll link it to this uh to this podcast. And, and and the context in which i posted that is uh i had been speaking at this um uh congregation and uh, over, I think it was in Florida, and a man walks up to me, who now is known as the Ass Man, and uh, and he says to me, uh, he says, Nehemi, I all, I'm so happy I came, I learned so much, and I almost didn't come tonight, um, because my congregation leader told me I mustn't go hear that non-believer, Nehemiah Gordon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and of course, I am a believer, I'm a believer in my faith, which is, a, I'm a Karaite Jew, uh, what he meant is non-believer is that I'm not a Christian. Um he said, "You mustn't go hear that. You know that person, Nehemiah Gordon. He's not not a believer in Jesus. You, you know you you can't hear it." And uh, and so this man responded to him. He said he said to the congregation leader, he said, "If God could use Balaam's ass to speak the truth, then surely He can use Nehemiah." And <laughs> and I and I was I was I suppose flattered by that. Um, <laughs> and and it, and the proof was in the pudding, and that he came and he actually learned something and was benefited by it mm. and edified by it. And um, and so I've been waiting this whole time to talk about Balaam's ass, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, listen, so now, here we are. and to be fair, I mean, it doesn't yeah. stop there. I mean, the right. the uh, interaction, I mean, the theme of the ass uh, pops up every now and then. In fact, Keith, there was yeah. a story that you shared with us on uh, Truth to You in a previous episode where you saw a wild Asian ass. Can you quickly tell us about that? Well, you know, actually, I, I, I'm going to let the story speak for itself. <laughs> All right, I'm going to link that one as well. You just, you just go, you go, to, go to the story. I think we've mentioned that and enough. There's a follow okay. up to that that we haven't told the people, which is how, when we maybe I should. Well, I'll tell you. There's a follow up because Keith saw the wild the onager, which is a white uh, wild ass. Mm-hmm. And then when Keith was le- this last year on the Aviv search, I looked out and lo and behold, there were three wild black asses. I'm not making it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm dead serious. Yes. Oh my goodness! So yes. now we've seen the white asses, the white ass, and we've seen the black asses, and they're all wild. Yes. Yeah. So and we're talking about the female donkeys, just so everyone's That's right. clear. And um, there's so much that I can't say. Then God's <laughs> anger was aroused because he went 
Now, now, okay, now look, you know, like, let me go back. So Balaam rose in the morning, settled his ass, and went out with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. How do we put those things together? Because, I mean, verse 20 says. Okay, so it says, okay, so in God's anger was kindled because he went. And then the messenger of Yehovah stood in the road as. Let's explain why God's angry first. Can we hold off on the messenger before we... Yeah, because I want to get to that. I want to get to that. But why is God angry? Because he says... Let me, let me... I'll read it again. If the men come to you, rise and go with them, but only the word that I speak, that you shall do. So he gets up, he goes, and God's angry. And and let me let me read what it says in my in my New King James study Bible notes. It says here, God's anger was aroused against Balaam, apparently because Balaam intended to do what Balak had hired him to do, to curse Israel. God could not have been angry at his going, for he had given Balaam permission, but... He had also given Balaam orders to speak only the word which I speak to you. Apparently, Balaam uh, planned to say whatever brought the highest amount of money. Uh, so that's a possibility. That's speculation. But, you know, in my mind, that's the only so I can thing. Can you another scenario? Keith. Okay. One other scenario is that, um, is that really, you know, Yehovah has this ability to see the motivations of the heart. And that maybe uh, Balaam really did look at what it was that they were bringing. And he said, you know what, um, I'm going to speak only what Yehovah says, but I'm going to get paid. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, you know, maybe, he, yeah. maybe, you know, in other words, he asked the first time and he said, well, what are these men doing here? Mm-hmm. He says, don't go with them. And then he comes back again. And and so Balaam's, you know, maybe Balaam really did think, you know, OK, look, mm-hmm. I can get both the best of both worlds. I can get paid and wait to hear the, the word of Yehovah. Just another possibility. Sure. And so either way, it's not so much the action of getting up and going with them. It's his heart that is the problem. At least we can speculate that's likely the case. Well, and, and, so and I, think, I think what bears that out is that later in the next chapter, when we actually get to, um, you know, w- what he does is, and this goes back to the whole divination thing. And I'll hold off till we get to the next chapter, but you're going to see mm-hmm. that There's he's practicing idea. divination. <laughs> he, he does interrupt me. He's practicing, he's going to be practicing divination, trying to force, um, uh, you know, to essentially force Yehovah to let him say what he wants to say. And it doesn't mm-hmm. work out for him. And, um, and eventually he gives up on that. He realizes, okay. I'm not going to use divination like I did in the past, and, and I know I'm jumping ahead. I'm already in chapter 24 now. <laughs> but when he finally has so, the, the the prophetic experience, it's it you know th- this is you know he learns the lesson. Oh, it yeah. takes him two two times of failure yep. until the third time he's like, okay, I'm going to go through that. Yeah, Key. So chapter 22, verse 22. And God's anger was kindled against it uh, uh, because he went, and the uh, angel of Yehovah stood in the road as Satan against him. Mm-hmm. Is that what it says in your verse? Oh, is that is that what you got in yours, Keith? Or, you know what? Or you read yeah, so does the word is Satan? Uh, it is it stand it stood in the road as Satan. So the angel of Jehovah was Satan. Your printed Bible, Keith. It says it. I'm one using Bible. the Keith Johnson version. Oh, <laughs> me, I told you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you guys click on your computer anymore. I've decided Listen, to look at the Hebrew and mix Keith, it with a bunch of different versions. So this, what I'm telling what you, I, you know, yeah, tell me. What does yours say? I, you know, I, I read it. It says uh, God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of Yehovah took the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that word is. I looked it up, sure enough, as a Satan against him. I love, I love this verse. There it so is. Can I talk about this verse and let Nehemiah talk please, about this verse? You talk please, please. One of the reasons that it's such a powerful verse um, uh, to me is that, um, you know, it, it, it sort of it, 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 cap, it, it captures just uh, this amazing idea that Yahovah 
can do whatever he has to do whenever he wants to do it and however he wants to do it. And and I know in the English they get real nervous when they see the word uh, Satan, Satan, and they decide, you know, well, we're going we're gonna to reserve that specifically for the personification of the one with the capital S. But this idea of being a Satan, this adversarial position, it just is, it's another example where, again, it's, it's uncomfortable, but that it says that the angel of Yahovah stood at, in the road as a Satan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, the theological lights start going off and people are like, no, 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 that can't be. Well, if we do any sort of um, uh, walking through the scriptures using that word, we find many, many examples where, in fact, that's exactly what the case is. So well, that's why I love the verse. There's another example, Keith, in, in yeah. just a, a few verses later in verse 32. We're going to get to that. But yes. Okay, awesome. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I just like this idea that, um, that you know, our, you know, I was okay. speaking speaking about this idea of, Yehovah's will being done, and that mm. the idea is that his will shall be done, Amen. and this is what the prayer is, you know, that Yeshua teaches, but, mm. the, but the idea, when I, when I see it that way, it kind of changes my view, and the view being that he is the creator of all. If he wants to speak through uh, Balaam or Bilaam, or he wants to do what he wants to do, or he wants to stand in the way as a, an adversary or as a Satan, he can, and mm. it's not like there's sort of this, this, this limit to his mm. ability to intervene or to to uh, interfere sometimes in uh, human affairs. So. Amen. Nehemiah. Am I the only one who hears the siren? What is the siren? Where is that coming from? What are you talking about? It's a siren. Is that is that your siren or is that Nehemiah's siren? Are they I coming mean, for you, Keith? <laughs> no, it's the religious police. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. And he was riding on his ass. The religious Sorry. police were coming after him because he said the word Satan. Hey. <laughs> Wait, wait, hold, wait um, yeah. So, hey, let me throw out a statistic here, which, which I, I just love the statistic. So, the word Satan appears in the King James version of the of the English translation of the Old Testament mm-hmm. nineteen times, mm-hmm. and in in the Hebrew, the same exact word appears thirty five times in the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's not interesting. Very interesting. And whenever and, I and see, you got to ask yourself like the question. You okay. Ask yourself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so where are they? What happened to them? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I want to go back to something Keith said. You know, you brought up um, you know your will be done and in, in the uh, your will, will shall be done in in the the prayer that that Yeshua taught. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not sure it was clear to the people why you brought that up. I, I think I know, but can you explain why you brought that up in the context of the angel of Yehovah well, going I was, in the way? Is I was speaking in the context. I was speaking in the context of our Father in heaven is not limited so that when these words, the word like Satan, okay, so we have this theological picture, we have this picture in our mind of what that means, and we certainly don't ever want the idea that he could use one of his angels, uh, one of the messengers, to stand mm-hmm. as an adversary, a, as a Satan. The idea of his will being done, oh, God, please let your will be done because, you know, we're fighting this battle and we just don't know who's going to win. But when we know will shall be done, we know that it's within his ability to do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants. Amen. I was making the connection between the two in saying that when I read the Hebrew Bible and I see the word Satan, and even when Angel and, and Yehovah became a Satan, we have his stories of, of you know other stories which we could talk about it. But the point is that he's not limited. He's not limited of to you know to do mm-hmm. when he, whatever and it is. So that he what wants I think you're really do. saying is that saying what I said. <laughs> I think. It, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, go ahead. So I think I think what you're really saying is that even what what Satan does is not outside the will of Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Is that is that well? Fair I, to say? I think if we read the Book of Job, what Satan does is specifically within the is. will of Jehovah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm sticking to. Okay, 
so so yeah, just for those who haven't read the book of Job or don't remember, you know the the there's the incident there where it says that it says the angels or literally it says the sons of Elohim appear before Yehovah mm-hmm. and uh, and it says and Satan is among them and uh, and then it explains there that Satan wants to be able to uh, test Job and he wants to be able to you know harm Job and he can't because Yehovah has put a fence around him mm-hmm. and he's only able to once once he makes the arguments and convinces Yehovah. Okay, remove that fence so that I can get at him. And I think the point of that story is Satan can't do anything that's contrary to Jehovah's will. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amen. There it is. All right. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of Jehovah standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot, crushed it against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then Yehovah opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said, The donkey, the ass, spoke to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said, Now, Keith, one of the things that strikes me here is that it doesn't seem odd to Balaam that the donkey's talking to him. The donkey, Balaam just goes, Hey, my donkey's talking. I'm just going to engage in a conversation here with my right. donkey. And right. Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were more, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, and now they're chatting away, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then Jehovah opened Balaam's eyes, uh, and he saw the angel of Jehovah standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Now, Keith, where else in the Bible do we have a talking animal? I know, well, I, well, I know we have one in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Yeah. Anything else? We got a talking animal. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, is there another talking animal? I don't know. There's, I mean, there's the serpent in, in Genesis. You're right. In Nehemiah, yeah. is there anywhere else where an animal talks? Mm, these are the only two that come to mind. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you would expect him to have been more surprised. <laughs> he, <laughs> he didn't say like, "What the?" <laughs> you know, he just the, the, the donkey right. asks him a question. and He an- answers the question. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. strange. I do think it's interesting. Verse thirty-one. That he's, I mean, what it says literally in Hebrew is uh, he um, he kneeled and bowed down on his face, is what mm-hmm. it literally says. Mm-hmm. So he's bowing down to this angel, and what is that? This angel of Yehovah, who, and just to go back to the Satan issue, which appears again in the next verse. Yes, um, it says, "Behold, I went forth as a Satan." Um, so Satan in this context is really little s, you know, because and maybe we didn't make that clear. The word Satan in Hebrew, Satan, just means enemy. Mm-hmm. And and when I read this in Hebrew, what it, what's clear to me is this is you know not an enemy of Yehovah. This is an enemy to to us. This is mm-hmm. our enemy, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's an enemy that can test us. It's an enemy that can stand in our way and and, and cause us uh, harm and and uh, and kind of divert us from the path that we want to be on. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, but, but he's doing Yehovah's will. Um, he is mm-hmm. an enemy, an adversary, just not Yehovah's adversary. He's Yehovah's mm-hmm. angel. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting, though, that he he realizes, okay, here's this supernatural being that's just appeared before me, 
and he bows down to it. That's the first thing he does. He goes to worship it. Mm. You know, this is the word that they normally translate in your English translations as, you know, worship. And he worshiped. You sure. know, so I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think of that? Why is he worshiping well, an angel? The, the, the Are we supposed thing... to worship messengers? Or well, the first thing that comes to, to mind, Nehemiah, is, is when uh, Joshua uh, does a similar thing before the, if I remember correctly, before the angel, um, the commander of the armies of the Lord. Is, uh, does it use the same word there? Uh, it says, and he fell on his face and he, and he bowed down. It does, yeah. You're absolutely right. Okay. He, mm-hmm. Joshua had the same response to his angel, There's who also had a sword, a sword, sword drawn in his hand. Mm-hmm. And maybe the moral of the story is that someone's got a sword. <laughs> you better play it safe. <laughs> yeah, well, there's exactly. actually two things I wanted to say about the passage. One is, is I think that if I if, if an angel of Yehovah comes and, and, and you see the angel that's been in the presence of Yehovah, just the mm-hmm. sniff, just the smell, just the thought that this angel comes as a messenger of Yehovah, certainly there must be some aura, some you know reverential, some reference, uh, yeah. you know, it's like uh, Old Spice. It says, you know, for men, you know, they're wearing Old Spice. He's wearing the presence of Yehovah. You're going to fall down just being in his Old presence. Spice. But the thing that the, 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 yeah, the I know other, he's old, isn't he? Yeah, yeah right. But let me just spice? say this. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's Old Spice commercial. But let me just say this. I oh. think there's something really interesting, you know, when people talk about the the, uh, the, the ass. When I look at this, <clears throat> you know, I look at the, the fact that this was a female donkey. And, you know, mm-hmm. men, more men should listen to their wives. Uh, more men should listen to women. Because you know what? This, this female donkey, she had enough discernment to see the angel. Think of this donkey. Here's this female donkey. Mm-hmm. Who can see the angel and 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 tries to tries to spare the life of this uh, stubborn man? The master, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you got, you got the man on the donkey, and she she can see. He she can't can see, see you know. And then eventually he sees, but I mean, in the in the process. So I think there's this kind of like a beautiful picture of this idea of different perspectives. Here's the here's the here's the donkey's perspective. Here's Balaam's perspective. Mm. Here's what Yehovah wants. Here's what Balak wants. And it all comes down to this, you know, that that he intervenes and says, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just letting you know, uh, you're on my mission, and in my mission, here's how it's going to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and and the, thing cool. I, the thing I find, uh, sorry, to just to point out, of course, uh-huh. that the, the donkey, the donkey is, um, the, the donkey's eyes are open. Then the donkey's yes. mouth is opened. Uh, yes. Obviously, Balaam can speak. There's no problem there. But then it says specifically, then Yehovah opened Balaam's eyes. Finally, he's, and. Finally, he sees. He, but but Yehovah so, opened his eyes. So how can he? He didn't expect him to see him before then. But but uh, so it's interesting to note. And I think it's probably an ideal spot, Keith, if if, if it's possible. Uh, if it's okay with you, Nehemiah, if we can go to yeah. Psalm well, this, one hundred nineteen, verse eighteen. Before before you do that, there's something really profound here that that you pointed out. That I, I just love this image here. That Balaam, Bilam, he has. If I can use this metaphor, he has scales on his eyes. There's a veil in front of his face, and he can't see. Satan is right in front of him. He doesn't realize Satan's standing there with the sword, and he's about (laughs) to walk into him, and Jehovah spares him and Mm -hmm. opens his eyes. The scales fall away, and he sees. And I think this is such a powerful image. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray this time because you guys before you pray, but remember this before you pray, Nehemiah. Uh, and again, and you, even telling the story, so we have his eyes are closed. Yehovah opens his eyes, so he can mm-hmm. see. And the, but the, but the, but the but the in between is what, what was yeah. it that was the intervention? It was the female donkey Amen. that finally got the attention of the of the man who couldn't see. Saved his life. Saved his life is what he did. Mm. Yes. Amen. Father in heaven, 
uncover my eyes the way you uncovered the eyes of Bilam. The scales fall from my eyes that I may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. Uh-oh. Amen. 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 Oh. Thank you, Nehemiah. Did, did, did the Jewish man just pray for scales to fall off his eyes? He did. Amen. May, <laughs> scales may the Methodist also, may the Methodist also pray this. All those with scales. May, may the Aussie also. Yeah, amen. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you. There it is again. Because your way is perverse before me. And there we have it. We don't know exactly why it was perverse, but apparently it was perverse. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these Three times. Can I stop you there? Sure. I got to stop you there. So what, do you have perverse? Is that what you got in yours in the, KJ, in the Keith Johnson version? The way it was perverse before me? Yeah, and the I angel of said to him, why have you hit your donkey these three times? Look, I, yeah. I, I purposely came out to stop you because your way is perverse before me. Perverse, oh, perverse okay. is what you have. So, mm-hmm. so, and this maybe is a minor point because, you know, um, but anyway, the word there in Hebrew is yarat. Uh, Yudresh Tet, and this is a what we call a hapax legomenon. A hapax mm. legomenon is is a unique word. It only appears here in the entire Bible. Oh, yeah, right. And it really only appears here in the entire history of the ancient Hebrew language. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we don't know what it means. Oh wow! And, sure. uh, and this is one of these words that that I know the ancient rabbis looked at, and they came up with all kinds of wild explanations. They actually said that maybe it's an acronym for something. Um, or maybe we could break it apart and make it into two words. And, and basically what they were doing is trying to make sense of this word that we simply don't know the meaning of. Now, from the context, you can guess that, you know, it says for something the way before me, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So so perverse makes a lot of sense. Um, but it could be something else. You know, long is the way before me or short is the way before me or, or mm-hmm. who knows. We don't really know. And um, and so I think that's pretty cool that, you know, we throw out these English translations that it's so easy, we just burn right by it, don't even make a mention of it. But when you look at the Hebrew, you find out there's a, a linguistic um, riddle here that we don't know the answer to. And, um, and, I, you know, and I find this type of thing, it, it brings humility. I say, okay, I've exhausted all of the resources that exist, everything, you know, uh, you know sometimes you don't know something just because you're ignorant. But here we don't know, even if we have all the knowledge in the world, because... The, he- the Hebrew language, some of the information has been lost over thousands of years, mm-hmm. and uh, we just got to admit, okay, we don't know what this means. For something the way before me is what it is. What it That's says. That's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it says, I would, have, I would have surely killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not know you stood in my way against me. Now, therefore, uh, if it pleases you, I will turn back. But the angel of Jehovah said to Balaam, go with the man. But only speak that which I speak to you, uh, only speak the words that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now Balak heard that Balaam was coming. He went out to, to meet him uh, at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Ammon, in the boundary of the territory. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, <laughs> I have come to you, but now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Boy, if only, you know, more people Amen. to that. Eh? Amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Balaam went with Balak, and uh, they came to Kiryat Huzot. Is that correct, Nehemiah? Kiryat Huzot, which, which means the, the outdoors city <laughs> is really what it means, or the outdoors okay. village. And Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. And so it was that the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. 
Uh, from there, he might have said that he could observe uh, the extent of the people. And mm-hmm. uh, here we are at chapter whoa, whoa, 23. Whoa. You might see the extent of the people. Is that what you got, Keith? Observe the extent of the people, yeah. The farthest part of the people. Yes, yeah. so it says the edge of the people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And th- and I'm telling you guys, my version is impressive. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, this is a recurring theme here that throughout the story that that Balak, you know, keeps thinking, well, we just got to look from a different angle. <laughs> you know, you've seen, you've seen the whole people yeah. from here. Let's go look from that angle and let's, let's go to this place. And, and that will, will give you the inspiration that you need to be able to curse the people. And, and Balak just doesn't get it. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't get it from this angle or that angle. It's about speaking the word that's put Amen. in his mouth by Yehovah. Amen. Then Balaam said to Balak, this is chapter 23, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as uh, Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering, I will go. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Yehovah will come to me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to uh, a desolate height, and uh, God met Balaam, and he said to him, and now look, it's, it, Balaam says to, to God, I have prepared the seven altars, and I've uh, offered each uh, alter a bull and a ram, and it seems it seems to me, Nehemiah, or at least the way I read it, it's like, hey, I do what I do what you said. Yeah. Well, so, so we, we got it. We got it. Well, go ahead, Keith. Keith. No, no, no. I actually didn't see it that way. That he he had done what he he said. I I saw more that he did what they do. I mean, and and the reason that I look yeah. at that is that verse um at verse uh, forty one, and mm-hmm. it happened on the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you go to the places of Baal, the idea is, okay, we've got these altars, we offer these things. I mean, this isn't going to be outside the norm for uh, for uh, Balak at all. And so he's just doing what they do. These are the religious things that we do. What I thought was yeah. interesting was that he's doing what they do at the high places. And my, my, my version actually says, and he went to a, a high place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually referring, I'm, I'm looking at that as a referring back to this idea of these being high places, that's what they did. You know, you pick the high place, you go and you do this thing. There's sort of mm-hmm. the spiritual experience. But then Balaam does this radical thing. He says, well, hold on just a second. Let me go over here. And now that we've prepared the seven altars and the seven bulls, now let me go over and see what I'm supposed to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was. So, yeah. Let, let me ask a question to Keith. Uh, why seven? Why seven, seven altars the- and seven bulls and seven, seven rams? Seven is the number of fulfillment and completion. Seven is clearly in, in Scripture, <laughs> yeah. in, in legitimate number. true Scripture. It's an important number. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Mm-hmm. And so what I think is going on here is we've got a counterfeit situation that, you know, Bilam knows seven's important. And what he's doing is he's he's mixing the truth with the falsehood. He's going to the altars of Baal, to the high place of Baal. A high place isn't just a place that's high up on a hill. It's, mm-hmm. right. it's a, a high place is a place with altars for mm-hmm. uh, for worshiping Yehovah as Baal, um, or for worshiping Baal but, in this case. But it Baal says that they Baal. build they built seven altars, right? They built okay. the altars. But yeah. why do they build them on that spot? Because that's the sanctified spot for sure. Baal. Mm-hmm. So he's mixing the worship of Yehovah and the worship of Baal, and he's taking the number seven because he knows that's an important number to Yehovah. So you, you mix a little bit of the truth in there, like a counterfeit, if you think about it, the counterfeit bill. Uh, now, what color is your money over there in Australia? Like your hundred, uh, hundred Australian sort of ridiculous funny money. colors. Yeah, it's funny yeah. money. It's all it's different colors and it's made of right. plastic. So, so let's let's say your I don't know your your hundred dollar bill is like pink or something like that, right? Sure. So somebody <laughs> comes along with a blue hundred dollar bill from Australian money, they're gonna say, well, it's supposed to be pink. It doesn't even look right. So he takes seven because seven is the true number, the legitimate number, and he's trying to you know mix in this counterfeit stuff mm-hmm. and and make it look real. 
And mm-hmm. uh, and I think for me the key is in verses three and four. He says perhaps, and this is literally says in Hebrew, perhaps Yehovah will chance upon me. And then it says in verse four, and 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 God chanced upon Balaam. And that word chance, kara, will happen upon is mm-hmm. chance upon is a concept that has to do with divination. And we have this happen again in verses fifteen to sixteen. Um, it says, uh, let's see, um, and I will chance up with him here, uh, and Yehovah chanced upon Bil'am, and, and I'm, and I'm translate, translating it that way, because that's the meaning of this word, mm-hmm. Kala, is to happen or to chance upon, and, and, um, and that's actually the result of this divinatory experience, he's bringing these divinations and trying to force, uh, uh, this revelation to happen with Yehovah, and Yehovah says, okay, I'll do it. I'll play your game. I'll play along. I'll I'll play along. You want to? You want me to talk to you through divination? You want to play the divination game? We can do that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna meet you halfway, and and that amazes me that Jehovah is that merciful. But then finally, in chapter 24, you know, we finally see. You know, it says, and and Bilam saw that it was good in the eyes of Jehovah to bless Israel, Mm. and he didn't go like each time before towards the divination and he put his face towards the desert yeah. and Bilam lifted up his eyes and he saw yeah. is I know I know I'm jumping ahead but it's in order to understand what we're reading in, in the previous chapter sure. Bilam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel dwelling according to his tribes and then it says and the spirit of, of Elohim yep. was upon him Amen. the first few times the first times there was no spirit of Jehovah upon him there was just the chancing there was, a word there was the divination mm-hmm. he received this experience he wanted to have the supernatural experience he wanted to have this this uh this divina- divination happen Jehovah said okay I'll communicate with you your way I'll I'll play your game but this isn't going to be true prophecy this isn't going to be the 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 what I do with with my tr- genuine mm. prophets mm. I'm not going to have the spirit of of God upon you and then finally finally Bilam says, okay, we're not going to do it my way anymore. We're going to do it his way. And the spirit of God comes upon him. Amen. Now listen, Mm. so God puts, puts the word in his mouth and you were talking before about the word perverse uh, in, in the Hebrew that we don't exactly know what it means. Words that aren't used very often. And I'm wondering verse seven, it says, and he took up his Oracle and said, now Oracle is not a word that we see a lot in, uh, yeah. In, that's funny that it says Oracle. Is that what you got in yours, in your one new man? No, he took up, he took up his saying. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Same. So it says his, he took up his proverb, his uh He took up his proverb. This is the same exact word in the book of Proverbs. It's, it's called Mishle. Mashal is a proverb. And oh. that word is kind of a broad word. It, it it's not necessarily just a proverb, it could be a parable. It's um anything that uses kind of a symbolic language is a mashal. Um so he took up his proverb and he said. And um and that tells you that sense? that yeah. Okay. So Balak, the, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed, and how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Or number one-fourth of Israel, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Well, it kind of wasn't, was it? That didn't really work out so well for him. Hey, you know, I I think this is really interesting. There's a few things here. One is in verse 10, he says, who can count the dust of Jacob and who can count the quarter of Israel? Mm. And what's the name of this book in English? Remind me that we're reading. We're in Numbers? What what do you mean? Numbers, right. It's the book of Numbers, which is actually, you know, in Hebrew it's called Bamidbar, 
which is one of the opening words, which means in the desert. But in he- English and in Greek, it's the book of Numbers, and it's all about counting Israel, it, the, way, the way the book is presented sure. in the English and in the uh-huh. Greek. And so he's saying, you know, who can do it? And, and the implication is, like, nobody can do it. They're innumerable. But Israel actually is counted in this book, um, if I'm not mistaken, at least three times mm-hmm. uh, that Israel is counted. Um, so I think that's interesting <laughs> that he says that. But that actually goes mm-hmm. back to God's blessing to uh, to um, to Abraham, where he says, you know, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea that can't be counted, and like the stars of the mm-hmm. heaven. Oh, so he's echoing that. And I also think it's interesting, the introduction here to this uh, proverb of his, to this parable of his, where he says, you know, he has, he has led me from Aram and um, from the mountains of the east. And, and and that's interesting. So so he's you know he's not a local. He's this Aramean uh, um, prophet, and Aram is significant. Like you're asking why in Aram are they worshiping Yehovah? I mean, well, Aram is the land of Aramaic. Um, that's where we get the word Aramaic, Aram. Um, and so why mm-hmm. is he? How, how is it they're worshiping Yehovah in Aram? And if you remember, remember where uh, Abraham came from? He was from Aram between the two rivers, Aram the Harayim, which today is you know they call that Iraq. Um, between the Euphrates and the um, and the the Tigris rivers, mm-hmm. and so and so back in Aram, apparently there were some people who had learned from Abraham and worshipped Jehovah and stayed behind, and 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 they continued to be immersed in the, in the pagan ways of that land. Mm-hmm. So they had the right God, but their 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 faith was right, but their practices weren't, their actions weren't. They you know had the true faith in Jehovah, but then they mixed it with the wrong actions. They've got the divination and. And uh, I think that there's something profound in that. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the people who got left behind back in, 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 in Mesopotamia and land in, in Aram. And now for a little bit of a really interesting tidbit. This might be a Torah pearl. Um, so they found this inscription in, uh, in Jordan at a place called Deir Allah, which is um, just on the other side of the Jordan River from Israel. And it's an ancient inscription, probably from around 1100 BC, and it's written in Aramaic. And it mentions Bilam, the son of Beor, by oh, name. Yeah, that's and right. it calls him Jose Elohim, or Jose Allah, the, the, um, the seer of God. He's described there essentially as some type of a prophet. And yeah. there's a prophecy there recorded of Bilam. Um, so, you know, you read the story and it sounds fantastical. We're hearing about some... Some Gentile prophet who who the Gentiles were uh, believe is a prophet and and what's he doing in the Bible anyway and and is that even a real character and it turns out not only is he real but we have archaeological evidence of him and there's a prophecy of his recorded that's mm. been uncovered uh, in excavations. So it's a fragment, right? It's it's only partially there, but there it is. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, it's not a, not complete because it's actually um it's actually written uh, ink on plaster, which is very interesting because it says. In Deuteronomy, we'll read that that's how, how they're commanded to make the um, they're commanded to write out the entire Torah mm. Uh, mm. with ink on plaster, and that's what, that's how it you know it was written. And so it's you know not complete. Most inscriptions you find from ancient times aren't going to be complete; mm. they're going to be missing sections. And here it's pretty fragmentary, but enough of it's been preserved to see that it's Bilam, the son of Beor, and that there's some kind of prophecy that he's speaking. There is. Okay. You know, I, I was going to say what I what I think is so interesting. Nehemiah was talking about you know why why it might be that these folks. Um, New Yehovah, they were left behind uh, with Abraham. But I, one of the things I, I, I always think about is just the fact, again, that there are no bounds. There are no boundaries from how Yehovah wants to work. So before there was an Abraham, uh, Yehovah was there. So that when Yehovah called Abraham, he called Abram or Abraham uh, from that place. So Yehovah crossed that river, found a man, and called him out. 
So it's mm-hmm. like, well, the thing that excites me is that he can, again, this whole idea of w- where he's limited. You know, there are no religious uh, boundaries. There's no border police that can keep him from going over into Iraq if he wants mm-hmm. to, going to, you know, in different parts of the world and doing what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So that's what I think is such a cool thing is that, you know, I, he's big. I mean, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he and he mm-hmm. and he catches the attention of a an Abram, and he can catch atten- attention of a Balak or a Balaam or whoever mm-hmm. he wants or speak through a donkey if he whoa, wants to. Whoa, whoa. He's just Hold that amazing. Are you saying the creator of the universe doesn't obey the religious border police? No, I'm Is saying that what you're trying to tell yeah, me? Well, he, well, well, it depends on when, who you're talking to now. He's, if you talk to he's folks crossing my, the river. Yeah, he crosses <laughs> the river. He crossed the river to go get Abraham. He crossed the river to go speak. I mean, that's even when we we read the story about Moses, his father-in-law, and they said, yes, this is the mountain of Elohim. That's where Elohim is. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't be there. He's supposed to be over in in Israel. What's he doing in, in you know at that you know? I mean, point being is that he's not limited, and I think I I really think there's something powerful about that. And one thing I want to say again about the English translators that sometimes they get nervous of how big God is. They get so nervous about how big God is, they want to try to make him smaller. So they limit words and they don't tell us certain words 39 mm-hmm. times at Satan, but 19 times in the English. You know, that kind of stuff is an attempt to try to keep God in the box, you know, yeah. but he's going to keep breaking and, and, out of know, the box. You know, what I'm realizing is, is, you know, God speaking through Balaam's ass. That's not the greatest miracle here. The greatest miracle is God speaking through Balaam, through Balaam, that mm-hmm. Yehovah had the mercy to speak through a man who was trying to use divination, trying to force him to speak what he didn't want to say. And he still had the mercy to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to meet you on your terms. I'm going to speak to you where mm-hmm. you are, even though you don't line up with the statement of faith, with the doctrine of our community, I'm still going to come and speak to this man and communicate and to achieve. him because I, because I've got a message that's mm-hmm. important for the nations to hear and I've got to speak through one of their people so they can hear it. And, and you know, this reminds me of a of a um, there's there's a Jewish story about about a tribe that actually ruled at southern Russia around sometime around I don't know 700 CE or somewhere mm-hmm. thereabouts. And they were called the Khazars. Yes. Um, and the Khazars were this uh, Mong- Mongolian tribe that had come swept in from you know Central Asia and conquered so- what the steppes of Russia. They had a vast kingdom. And uh, the story is about the king of the Khazars that he he wanted to be a righteous man and he mm-hmm. brought all the sacrifices. He would, you know, slaughter 10,000 goats for his gods. You know, he wanted to be righteous. Mm-hmm. And one night he's sleeping and he has a dream and the angel appears to him in the dream and he says to him, and, and I, I remember learning this when I was a child, reading this in, in a book written over a thousand years ago and it's so profound. The angel says to him, uh, your 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 how does it say it exactly? It says something effective. Your your faith is acceptable before me, but your actions are not. Mm-hmm. And the point was that the king wanted to do the right thing. His intentions were right, but he didn't know what to do. He didn't mm-hmm. have the truth of scripture. And you know, then he went and he began to search. And he searched all the religions of the world and the ancient Greek religions and every religion of the world. But the point is that I, I believe that you know, and it also reminds me of the story of Avimelech, who was the Philistine king, who had a similar experience, where God said, "I know your intention is right, and so I've held you back from sinning against uh, by by committing adultery with Abraham's wife." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Jehovah is that merciful that He is going to look into our hearts and give us credit, even if we're misguided, even if we're we, we're we're not always on the right path. He's going to say, "This is a good person who wants to do right." I'm going to give him a little bit of a nudge in that direction, and I'm going to open his eyes that he may see the wonderful 
hidden things hidden of the Torah. Of his Torah. Amen. Oh. Amen. And so, although uh, Balaam was hoping that he would die the death of the righteous and that his end would be like uh, uh, <laughs> that of Israel, it <laughs> says in uh, Numbers, I think it's 31 8, also Joshua 13 22, that uh, he was killed by the sword by Israel. And that was his end. But in any case, uh, Balak says to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. Says So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what Yehovah has put in my mouth? Mm-hmm. And so here we are at the, at the second prophecy, and he says, Look, maybe if I take you somewhere else, it'll work better. Let me, let's go over here. You know, <laughs> let's see if it works better. We've got the seven altars and the seven bulls, the rams, and they do all of that again. And uh, he says to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering. I will, it, it says this time, Nehemiah, I'll meet with Yehovah over there. Uh, then Yehovah met with Balaam and put the words in his mouth. And, uh, and so he goes back and this is what he says. He took up his oracle and he says, rise, Balak, and here, listen to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man mm-hmm. that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken? And will he not make good? Behold, I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Mm-hmm. He has not observed iniquity. Now, this is, Nehemiah, <laughs> this is interesting. We need an explanation here. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Yehovah, his Elohim, is with him. Guys, mm-hmm. what are we doing? <laughs> There's a couple of bombs there. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to deal with first? <laughs> Can we, go, can we deal with verse 21 first? Because that's the easier one. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so the word he beat here could be, he, it really it means he, he looked at. So really mm-hmm. you could translate he did not look at um, uh, iniquity. It's not really not iniquity. It's, it's um, uh, perversion or um, uh, you know, a twisted way. He didn't, he didn't look at the twistedness in Jacob. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it didn't exist. But Yehovah is not looking upon that. What he's looking at in this context is the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think that's key in this story because earlier on, you know, uh, Bilam's like, okay, I want to go curse uh, Jacob. And God's like, well, he's already, he's blessed. There's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to, to, that's the significance of verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, right? God's already made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not mm-hmm. a liar. He's going to keep that promise. That's an eternal promise. If you're saying that promise is invalidated, is uh, is um, abrogated, no longer applies, that Israel is no longer his people, then God's a liar. And God mm-hmm. doesn't lie. He's not a human being. We yeah. lie. That's our nature. But God doesn't. He's not a son of Adam. Mm-hmm. That, he should, that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. If he says something, he knows the future and he knows what he's talking about. And it's going to happen. That, it's going to happen. He's, mm-hmm. not, he, he's, mean, a, he's a creator of his word. Keith, do you want to add to uh, any speculation on either of those verses? No, the only thing I was going to say that I just, that, 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 you know, this is this is obscure, but I love this, is that it says, and and it says, and Yehovah his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Yes. When that when I see that phrase, oh, that. a shout of a king uh, is among them, uh, you know, I, I mean, w- one of the things, and again, I don't even know how to even uh, approach this because I don't want to take too much time, but just this, 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 this idea that um, there's something about this people. Mm-hmm. It's different about this people, and when it says the shout of a king is among them, you know, I did mm-hmm. a I did a little study of different looking at this from different angles, kind of like how they look at the angles of the people of Israel, and dealing with the shout of a king, meaning the meaning the 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 the, the, the raising of the 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 king itself. In other words, mm-hmm. okay, the king is in our midst. 
ah, it's the king or yes. the idea of shouting. And what does that mean? Is it the king itself that's shouting or is it the people saying the king is in our midst? Mm-hmm. Or is it possibly the, you know, <laughs> not, I, have, I have another explanation I want to offer. Which, sure. if, if not to interrupt you, Keith, but this is what we do. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> what is the word there for shouting? The word there is truah, truat melech. That's what I was. And oh, did, did I did I snatch that from your? <laughs> okay, well that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's no, it. Okay. truah is could be a shout, of course. but it could also be the blast of a shofar. And that and mm-hmm. and if you think about it, when the king shows up, they've got like the little horns that go do You know, they're announcing his coming. And I think that that's what this may mean. The trua of the king is in his myth. And on that note, I'm going to blow the show far. That was me, not Keith. That's not bad. Keith, what do you reckon? (laughs) Amen. Amen. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. And uh, so it goes on. Oh, now, let me just say this. So I've got to read this. No. Uh, it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours its prey and drinks the blood of the mm-hmm. slain. Mm-hmm. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all or bless them at all. Oh, man, he's ticked off. But he says, look, I'll tell you what, let's go somewhere else. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> so off they go, off they go. <laughs> and there we are in chapter 24. And Balaam uh, saw, as you said, Nehemiah, he saw that it pleased Jehovah to bless Israel. And he did not go, as other times, to speak, to seek uh, to use sorcery. But he set his face towards the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel and camped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And then mm-hmm. he took up his oracle and he said, the, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of a man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by Jehovah, like cedars beside the water. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king, again, Keith, his king shall be higher than Agag. His kingdom yes. shall be exalted. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not until, like, you know, what, hundreds of years until we get to Shul. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. The, the king here is, is Yehovah. I think there's Amen. no question about that. God brings him out of, out of Egypt. He is a strength like the wild ox. He shall consume the nations his enemies, he shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Now, here it is. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Keith, where is that from? Mm, I will bless those who bless, and I will curse those who curse. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 uh, mm. is what he's quoting. So verse 3, I think, is interesting, this expression here where he... Uh, he says, you know, saith Bilam, the son of Baor, saith the man, and it says, who is literally shdum ha'ayin, which means who has opened the eye. Um, but that's a really interesting word that if you change it slightly and make it stum ha'ayin, it means who has a shut eye. And, uh, mm-hmm. and in fact, we're told that there was um, this, you know, there were different pronunciations of ancient Hebrew, and we're told in, in the book of Judges about how the, the, um, the tribe of Ephraim, that when they pronounced the Hebrew letter Shin, it came out as Sin. 
And in fact, there was a war, and 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 they used that as a password. They said to everybody, "Say the word Shibolet." And when the Ephraimites said it, they couldn't say "sh" Shibolet. It came out as Sibolet, and they said, "Oh, you're an Ephraimite," and they killed him. The other tribes. And so, if an Ephraimite said this, he would say Stumaein, uh, "Behold the man who has the shut eye," <laughs> instead of Stumaein, "Behold the man who has the open eye." Mm. And 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 I and I and it's actually essentially the same letter in in Hebrew, but with the dot on the the right side of the letter versus the left side of the letter. It's kind of like the C in English, which sometimes is a K and sometimes is a S. Um, and and it's very very close. And and it makes you think that what a small difference between having the eye open and the eye shut. I mean, it's it mm-hmm. really is True. a very subtle difference. And he's got he's the one who's got his eyes were shut, and now the eye is open. Mm-hmm. His eyes, yes. and he actually says, uncovered eyes. That's what we say in our prayer. Gale Abita. Mm-hmm. I'll uncover my eye that I may see. He now has the Giluye Nayim, the uncovered eyes. It's the same exact words in a different format. Um, his eyes are open now, and he sees how wonderful are your tents, O Jacob, your uh, your dwellings, O Israel. He now sees what he refused to see before. It was right in front of his eyes, but it was you know there were the scales on his eyes, but this time it was self-imposed, and now his eyes have been opened, and he's going to see what Yehovah shows him. Amen. Amen. And so Balak's anger is aroused. He strikes his hands together. He says, look, I told you to curse him. You've blessed them bountifully these three times. I would have given you heaps of stuff. But now you can get on your ass and go home. But uh, this is what he says in, in verse 14. <laughs> Balaam says, well, before I do that, let me just tell you what's going to happen to you in the latter days. And so yes. Balaam took up his oracle and said, and this is the fourth one, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of a man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the, has the, knowledge of the Most High, Keith, who sees mm-hmm. the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. What, what is the point of that phrase in verse 17? I see him, but, but not now. So, I behold so him, we, but not near. We start out, and he says, this is what's going to happen. It says, <laughs> okay. the latter days, that's, you know, that... That's you know that's the end times. <laughs> this is an end times it. prophecy, and then yeah. and then and then where he says I see him and not now and and I behold him and not is not near, so that he's talking about what's going to happen in the end times and uh, and in a so sense, a um, yeah. A well, hold on a second. So yeah. so I see him could also be translated I see it. So meaning I see what's going to uh, happen. Okay, but maybe okay. he sees him. Maybe he's seeing the star, Perhaps. and it says a, And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know. This this is uh, read it read it in your translation. It's a powerful. Verse. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter oh! shall rise out of Israel and batter oh. the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Now, wh- mm-hmm. what is what does that mean? What is wh- who is this star? And I know certainly Jewish sources have always understood this as referring to the Messiah. A star mm-hmm. shall rise out of Jacob, and then it says a uh, a uh, uh, a staff, and that's the word Shevet, which is the staff of the ruler. So this is the ruler. This is the king. This is the human king that uh, you know. The and we later find out this is going to be a descendant of David. This arguably is our first messianic prophecy. The first me- first wow. explicitly messianic prophecy in the Bible, where the Messiah is foretold. The star shall rise out of Jacob. How about that? Oh! It comes from Balaam, Keith. It comes from. So what's so interesting about that, though, and this, you know, and this is where some folks got to be at the edge of their seat, and and others are in the back of their seat, and hoping that we get over this verse real quick. So some from one 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 um, uh, heritage would immediately think of Revelation twenty two sixteen, 
-hmm. You know, others would look at other, you know, Isaiah and it's okay, this is what it is here. I think, you know, rather than really even um, dealing with that, I just think this idea that here you have now uh, Balaam um, being the messenger, he's become now the ambassador of Yehovah, Mm -hmm. meaning that he's now bringing forth a message from Yehovah. And the fact that this message is coming out in ancient times, speaking Mm -hmm. of the star that will come forth. Mm. That is that is something that everyone could get excited about. Again, someone could go to the, to the back of the book to to, to, to my uh, English Bible and go to Revelation twenty two sixteen, and it's Yeshua. It's Jesus speaking, saying, "I am the star." Or they could go to other parts of uh, the prophecies that we see, the other prophecies that come forth. That Nehemiah, when he reads, or anyone that comes from a Jewish tradition, that uh, you know, biblical biblical understanding, looking at the Tanakh as the Word of God, certainly he's saying, "I'm waiting for that star. I'm waiting for that Mashiach. I'm waiting for that one." Mm. To come, so that's why I think this is such a powerful, um, a powerful opportunity to to find the common ground. That Nehemiah could say that he would shout about the star coming, Amen. and that others would shout and say about the star coming. I mean, that's, I mean, isn't that cool? We're talking about the Book of Numbers now. This is way back in the Book of Numbers. Very cool. so, isn't anyway, this amazing? Yeah. That that the first and look and there's other prophecies that people will point to and say, well, you know, that's a messianic prophecy. But those those are all like kind of in dispute. Mm-hmm. Here's the one that that I think is indisputable. That anybody looks at this. And certainly in, in the traditional sources, both Jewish and Christian, and say, okay, this is talking about the coming of the Messiah, the star who will rise up out of Jacob. And, and that excites me that the first prophecy, think about this for a minute, the mm-hmm. first prophecy we have, uh, and this isn't with the divination. Now we're talking about the spirit of Elohim is upon him. This is true, legitimate prophecy, mm-hmm. undisputably, and it's a Gentile who's speaking that prophecy. No, the Gentile is the first one to see it. That's there, pretty you better cool. better say that. And, you better say that. And, 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 it, and he's seeing the star rising out of Jacob. Israel is not ready to see it, but the Gentile prophet has seen it and foretold it. it. And, it. and that's pretty cool. And, uh, and, and, and sort of like a, another uh, interesting little side point here is, the, is there was um, someone in Israel's history who the entire people of Israel looked to and said, he is the star that has risen out of Jacob. And they actually called him Starman, and that right. was somebody who is known in history as Bar Kokhba. And uh, he this was in a, this was sixty two years after the destruction of the temple, and they were living mm-hmm. under Roman occupation, the second temple. And they said, "Well, the first time we had seventy years of exile, it's got to be seventy years this time as well. Sixty two years have passed. We're not going to wait another eight years." And uh, they rose up against the Romans and actually defeated them. They defeated. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, they actually wiped out an entire Roman legion that was that was completely wiped out to the last man, and it never appears after that in the history of of, of Rome because you know it wasn't that they were wounded and then had to replace those guys. The whole legion was wiped out, which is mm-hmm. that's a big deal uh, for for the Judeans to wipe out an entire uh, Roman legion, and um, and uh, they actually uh, proclaimed their leader, whose name was Simon Ben Kospa. Uh, they proclaimed him as the king of Israel, and they and they said he is the Messiah. They anointed him with oil, and they began to mint coins that said year one of the redemption of Zion. This was in the year 132 CE, and Rabbi Akiva, who was the leading rabbi of the time, came to this king of Israel. He was not a theoretical king; he was a legit, you know, he was an actual reigning king of Israel, flesh and blood king. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You are the son of the you are the star that is risen out of Jacob." And he changed his name from Ben Kospa to Bar Kochba which literally would mean son of the star or star man, and saying he was a fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, in 133, they, they started minting coins that said year two of the redemption of Zion. And in 134, they started minting coins that said year three of the redemption of Zion. And you find these in archaeological excavations. They're pretty common. 
Um, year four coins are very rare because the Romans came back. They actually sent in reinforcements uh, from mm-hmm. Britain, uh, brought in new legions that um, that put down the rebellion in the year 135. They killed Rabbi Akiva, skinned him alive actually with hot combs, hey. and um, and they and they killed Bar Kokhba at the Battle of Betar, uh, where half a million Jews were killed in that battle. And they destroyed over a thousand Jewish villages. Said we can't have this happen again. And they renamed the province of Judea. It had been called Judea since time immemorial. You know, Yehuda, the land of Judah. They renamed it Palestina after the Philistines who had once lived in that region to strip it of its Jewish identity. And um, and if you ask most Jews today, they'll say, well, Bar Kokhba wasn't really the star man because he was killed by the Romans and and you know didn't he brought in three and a half years of a kingdom, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that will last last, uh, for at least a thousand years. The kingdom which Yehovah's representative will rule on earth over the entire world. Can I get an amen? Amen. The star will rise from the kingdom. It'll be the the real star, man. And so verse 18, and Edom, and this is what will happen also, Edom shall be a possession to Seir, also, his enemies shall be a possession. While Jacob, while Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and he said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until it perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites and he took up the oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Ashur carries you away captive and we got to stop here and talk about these kenites so this mm-hmm. is not this is nothing to do with cain who killed abel this is a different mm-hmm. group these mm-hmm. are people who um are actually a, a subgroup of midianites this is one of the midianite clans and uh for example um you know we hear about hever the kenite who uh is one of these people is associated with the midianites and this is important because the very next story that we're going to hear about is how how <laughs> the midianites say okay we couldn't get you with curses we're going to get you to curse yourself mm-hmm. with your actions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they seduce the Israelites to come and worship idols because they yep. realize, okay, their God's protecting them. Let's draw them away from their God to our God, and mm-hmm. their protection is. will be away. And, and so he, that's why the Canaanites are being mentioned here. They're, they're in with the, the, Midi- the, the Moabites. And, uh, and he took up his oracle and he said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come, ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict ashore and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way, and that is that. Now, Keith, chapter 25, will you take us through the story to uh, the end of our Torah portion, which is verse 9? And, they be, and, and, and so it says, And Israel stayed in Acacia, and the people began to commit harlotry with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of Jehovah was kindled against Israel. And Jehovah said unto Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang them up before. Oh, my goodness. Mm. What are you kidding me? Seriously. Is that out in the hang- sun. What do you got there? You got hang I'm, up? That's what I got. And hang the officers before Jehovah out in the sun. Okay, we're, we're going to have mm. to come back to that. I got that okay. mark. Let him finish reading. So the fierce anger of Jehovah can be turned away from Israel. So let's talk about this hanging. So the yeah, word there is hanging, yeah. The word there is hoka, which actually you could translate more literally as impale. Although mm. this is the interesting thing that if you look at the ancient Aramaic translation of uh, 
the Jewish Aramaic translation. I'm not talking about the Peshitta, which was a, a Gentile Aramaic translation from Edessa in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the Jewish Aramaic translation, you'll see that they translate the word hoka to impale as tzilav, which, uh, which normally would be translated as to crucify. And if you think about it, crucifying and impaling are, are very similar things. Mm-hmm. Impaling is where you take a, a, a big stake and you jam it up into someone's um, Donkey. Uh, body. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And then you and then you put it. They're up on this pole, and everybody sees them and says, "Oh, you know, that's what happens if we violate the law, or that's what happens if we violate the command of the king, mm-hmm. um, or if we rebel." And so that's impalement. Um, and so they're being commanded here to essentially to be crucified in a sense. I mean, that's what crucifixion was about as well. They'd put a person up on a pole and everyone would look up and say, okay, that's what happens if we rebel against the Romans. Mm-hmm. You know, the Romans actually crucified thousands of people. Um, it talks about <laughs> during the, uh, rebellion against, um, with, um, the, uh, what was that guy's name? The, uh, Spartacus that they actually lined the road to Rome with crucified, uh, slaves that had, oh, had you know, been conquered boy. the whole road to Rome. For miles was lined with people oh, crucifying, and good. so 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 impaling and crucifixion is essentially that. I mean, it wasn't a bad translation in the Aramaic, and um, and I think this is really interesting because he goes on later and he says, you know, it, it, do this, and the wrath of you Yeho- here he says, and the wrath of Yehovah will be turned back from mm. Israel, and and, uh, <laughs> and and I think it's interesting. These people who have sinned, they're going to get impaled, and Yehovah's they're going to be put up on the pole. And Yehovah's wrath will be turned back from Israel. There's something mm-hmm. really cool. There is. Keith, verse 5. So you go, well, verse 5, we have to go with the New King James Version because it's, uh, it really is a, a bit more important. So read from the New King James Version. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Oh, boy. Nehemiah, can you read that verse? And Moshe said to the judges of Israel, Kill each man his men who are have joined themselves who have who are oh. clinging themselves to the Baal Peor, and and the significance of that is remember the system that was set up uh, under Moses. So you had Moses as the high judge, and then you had judges of thousands and hundreds and fifties, etc. And what that meant is a judge of a thousand meant he'd a thousand men under him, and if they had a problem, they'd go to the judge of fifty, and if he didn't know what to do. They they mm-hmm. they bump it up the ladder to the judge of hundred and then they go to the judge of thousands. And so when it says to the judges of Israel, each kill each man his men who joined the Baal Peor, he's talking to the judges and saying, Okay, you've got a five you know, fifty men under you. Go check if any of them have worshipped Baal Peor and take care of it. Mm-hmm. Carry out the judgment against them. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's being described. And and that's significant because later on, uh, in this section we read about Pinchas in verse seven, it says, And Pinchas, the son of Elazar, saw You're not kidding me, you're not gonna go to verse seven. Okay, I'm going to let you read it. <laughs> <laughs> verse 6, before we get there. Verse that's six, it. We're never letting him read another. No, that's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Go on, okay, and, oh, one of the children of Israel came and brought to his brothers a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the entire congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tent of meeting. Mm. <laughs> and then it, it says, And when Phinehas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into a tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And, it, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. But I have to say wow. something. When I'm reading through this, you just you don't get a very clear view. You only get a clear view of what's happening at the end. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, because I mean, where does it say there's the plague? I mean, all of a sudden, it, it, so it the plague It doesn't say the plague. It doesn't say what's actually going. In other words, well, I, was, I wanted you to read your verse, um, um, uh, Jono. Is mm. to ask the question in verse number uh, five. 
Yeah. What verse six? What does it say in your your verse? In verse six, and indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's time for if you've got children in the room to. Uh, you might want to uh, send them away so I can explain what actually happened here. <laughs> okay. Here can I do that, or, or do we sure. have to keep the PG rating here? No, 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 we've, we've, so, we've given fair warning. Okay, So, and we're at the end of the portion, so, you know. Um, so, look, it says, and, he, and a man from, the children of, from among the children of Israel came, and he brought close to his brethren the Midianite woman, and then later on it says, and he stabbed them, the two of them. Now, why does he stab them through with this pole? Well, he's carrying out the, the judgment that Moses had commanded. He says, each man impale, you know, go and impale the people. And so he takes the pole and he's, and now how does he get, this is what we call a twofer, where he takes the pole and he stabs the two of them through. Now, how does he get the twofer? Well, evidently, and let's go back to verse one. It says, and the people began to whore after the daughters mm-hmm. of Moab. Mm-hmm. So what were happening is, and this is very common in the ancient world, the, uh, the religious, um, act that they would do the ritual mm-hmm. they would do to worship their god is they would have relations with a woman mm-hmm. and that woman would represent the goddess and the man who was having relations with her would represent the god and that union that um <laughs> relations they were uh, uh performing that was seen uh, symbolically as the you know the you know baal having relations mm-hmm. with his sister who was also his wife who was easter ashtoreth and um and that's what this was all about that they would you know they they were having relations and that's how he got the twofer they were in this you know it translates it here as a tent but the word is kuba which is apparently a bedchamber. um <laughs> and so he stabs them through he you know they, he's like okay this is the woman i'm gonna i'm gonna copulate with mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna join with their gods and um you know this is the this is the ritual of baal joining with with easter and you know and and um and so you know so this leader of the people of israel is is doing this with the midianite priestess mm-hmm. and um or the midianite princess and, and he's doing it in front of the israelites and so then they go into their little room and they and they and they consummate and pinchas is like well i was commanded to take out my people who are worshiping baal peor mm-hmm. <laughs> i better start with with this guy who's actually a prince of israel and and he kills him and we find out later he's the prince a uh, prince of israel he and, javelins um, them. Yep. He's, he javelins them. He, he, he shish kebabs them, them together. I he, think we get he, the story. He, he, I think he impales them. Okay, and, yes. and he get he gets a twofer because they're carrying out this ritual, and and there it mm-hmm. is. Okay, and so that's... the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Amen. And those that died were twenty four thousand, and that's why we have the book of my, Numbers. My goodness. And now we uh, we can. We're at the end of our Torah portion. We're at the end of the Torah portion. It could possibly be a record. Thank you, Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. Been listening to Truth To You Torah Pearls, where you can freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter U. Dot org. And next week, we are speaking about the man with the javelin. Pinchas, Numbers 25, verse 10 to 30, verse 1. Until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.